Good morning, happy Sabbath. All right, I don't know if you're out there or not. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Such a blessing to be with you. My name is Greg Taylor. Um, Gray Taylor is my King James Version. Uh, Greg Taylor is my real name, uh, just in case you wanted to know for the future, but that's, that's fine, no problem at all. Are you glad to be here? I am the youth director here in Wisconsin. I'm, uh, I did not take Mike Edge's place, because I don't know how you take Mike Edge's place, but I have his former position, we'll just say that. And uh, I am loving every minute of it. I see some of my, some of my campers that were here this summer, uh, Tracy and a few others. So glad you were able to come and join us at summer camp, and what a privilege it is to be with you here this morning. You know, I think about... Uh, Myself standing up here, and who am I but a servant of God, a sinner saved by grace, who's been given a message to share? Amen? But are you any different? God has given us all something to share. May that be a reminder on our hearts. I'd ask that you would uh, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, and we are going to spend a few moments, and my title of the message this morning is Nehemiah and the five attributes of mission. So we're going to start in verse 2 of chapter 1. Nehemiah, verse 2 of chapter 1. When you have it, please say amen. <clears throat> By the way, Maya, as you're turning, my wife and family would like to be here with you this morning. Unfortunately, there was a, a, a death of her former principal in high school, and so she's made her way to, to Andrews University for that this weekend. Otherwise, she sends her greetings and would love to to be with you as well. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3. And I will read at this point. Nehemiah says, And I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province that are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Would you pray with me as we begin? God in heaven, Lord, I ask that you would, you would just impress upon me that I would be your, word, your, your mouthpiece today, that these words would not be my own. Lord, there's a message this morning from this, these words, and I ask that you will continue to make it clear. Be with us as we have this special time of worship together. These things we pray in your name. Amen. Can you imagine such a war-torn society? This is, this is Jerusalem. This is their, their, their home. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had been in the wilderness. They had been through all kinds of, of turmoil, and finally they had done the conquest of Canaan. Solomon built the temple, and now everything, their cultural identity lay in ruins, smoldering. When I was a young person, our, our house burned to the ground, and it was a difficult thing. If it was my fault, my parents never told me. Um, <laughs> I was about three years old about when it happened. But, but I still remember, we went back to the house, and that picture on the wall was burnt. The wall, you know, th- this and that, this attribute, these photo albums, everything just destroyed and I remember just thinking it, it's gone you know so much of who I am it's it's gone you know and I wonder if that just begins to describe what it must have been like for these Israelites who were now in captivity in Babylon who had been taken you know been conquered first by uh, by Assyria and then by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar had brought them over and and here is Nehemiah 
realizing we have a work to do. Again, the sermon title is Nehemiah and the Five Attributes of Mission. And the first attribute of mission that I want to share with you this morning is that of purpose. Of purpose. I want you to talk, share with me just for a second. I don't know if you're used to this. Can I walk down the stairs? Is that okay? Okay. Like, That's never happened before. All right. I'm not a normal preacher, so you've got to work with me. All right. It was interesting. I saw an article as this was my first uh, summer of summer camp, and the article was entitled, The Most Dangerous Activity at Camp. That immediately got my attention, so I had to read the next line. But let me, let me just hear from you. The Most Dangerous Activity at Summer Camp. What would you, what would you guess? Go ahead and throw some out for me. Water skiing, okay. especially if you're not good at it. All right. What else? What's another dangerous activity at camp? Rock climbing. Sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> Close. All right. Anything else? Most dangerous. Horseback. You could get bucked off. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, so of course, you know, I'm, I was just starting this camp. And I want to know what's the most dangerous thing at camp. And so I read the next line and guess what it said? Free time. And I thought to myself, I need to read this article. And, and so I began reading this article, and sure enough, they said whenever you give young people free time, and, and you know what it is, if there is any kind of a ball or anything that resembles a football in a guy's cabin, what's going to happen to it? They'll find some way to make a game. Glass will get broken, someone's bleeding, and we wish we hadn't given them free time. Free time! You know, it, it's, it's, it's this interesting dichotomy because I wonder sometimes in our churches, now follow me here, in, in our churches, you know, when... When we don't have a mission, we don't have that purpose, when we're not busy doing God's work, you know, we begin doing this type of thing. Are you following me? All right, and then we start looking at <clears throat> bulletin. Hasn't that announcement been on there too many weeks? And we start looking at the pastor. His socks don't match. <laughs> Mine do. But you can see. And then we start, you know, let's look like, like, like we had this last potluck. Why do we have this every potluck? You know, when we're, are you with me? When we forget mission, when we forget purpose, you know, we start finding things to take up our time. It's, it's very interesting. I, I want you to turn with me. This is so powerful. Ephesians 6, this was our scripture. Please turn there, Ephesians 6, and we're going to start in verse 10. Now, I would love to hear some Bible pages turning. I was a teacher. Don't act like you're picking up a hymnal and turning that. I want to hear some Bibles, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, and when you have it, say nice and loud. Say Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 10, which was our scripture. And it says this, Finally, put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against all powers in the dark world and against spiritual forces and evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after that, you have done everything to stand. Stand firm. And then, of course, it goes on for the belt. The, you know, the belt, it goes on with the shield, the breastplate, all of that. Verse 16, very interesting. It says this. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. This happens to me sometimes. I get a little distracted, but I was playing basketball. And I was playing basketball. Uh, you, you know how it goes. You're on defense over here, and on defense, uh, I was a big guy, so they're always posting up against me, and so I'm, I'm defending the guy, all right? And then, you know, he shoots and misses, of course. And then I, re- 
Then I run over here, and, and, and I was on defense there, so what am I here? I'm on offense. All right, so I'm posting up. You know, they give me the ball. I shoot, and I score. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's a warning that says this is being recorded. I better be careful. <laughs> And, and so we come back, and, and so this was, you know, going on, but I, this particular day I had something on my mind, and so I got back here where I was supposed to be on defense. I was probably just thinking about how beautiful my wife is, but I forgot I was on defense, and I started playing offense when he was also playing offense. Do you know what that means? Instead of guarding him, I was asking for the ball. <laughs> so the guy I was defending just, you know, you know, he went behind me, got the easy pass, and made the basket. And, you know, of course you just you, you shake it off and you feel kind of silly. You know, and, and then you remind yourself, I'm playing basketball. I need to remember if I am on offense or defense. So here's my thought for you today. Every time we read this, it's very interesting. It's like we, we put on, you know, we put on the breastplate, the sword, the shield. We got it. We got everything ready. Or, you know, we're ready for the battle. What if, what if the purpose of the armor isn't necessarily just defense? Are you with me? In other words, so often it's like, you know, we've got it, we're ready. Okay, where's that attack coming from? But interestingly enough, look at this. This is so powerful. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith in which you would extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. If you are extinguishing flaming arrows with a shield, is this an analogy to siege warfare? In other words, there's a castle and you're sieging the castle, and you're taking your army towards the castle in which some of your own people are being held prisoner. Follow me here. If they are in prison in the castle, what is the first thing that's going to attack you? It's going to be the arrows. Am I right? You have the archers on the wall. You have the archers ready, and they're going to shoot. The very first thing you will encounter are the arrows from the wall. What if we're putting on the armor of God? Check this out. Follow me here. Because what God is saying I don't want you to stay here and wait for the attack. It's going to come anyway. I have people within Satan's control that I want back. Can a Christian say amen? What if God is saying, go on offense. Go get them. Those are my people. Those are my children. They are under Satan's influence. Put on that armor because you'll be attacked. But don't try to fight that fortress without me. Amen? Purpose. Have we forgotten purpose in, in our mission, you know, so often it's this whole idea of, of you know, we're on defense and there's a story. <laughs> oh, I, I asked the elder how, how long I have and he said, oh, just go until you're done. That's a dangerous thing to say, but it's kind of fun for me. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it's interesting. I had a friend talk to me about it. He went to visit a church, a very small church of about 13 people. It could fit about 70. And so he was here and... He came and sat down about right here in the second row. It was, at that time, it was about only six people. They were still coming in, and he sat down, and sure enough, from the back, a family came, and as the family came, they walked, and they kind of stood right next here, and, and you know, they're, finally, they waited for the hymn to start, and so they, they stood up for the hymn, and so guess what the family did, and they put their leg underneath where they were sitting, because that was their seat. And so finally, when the income ended, they quickly sat down until, you know, my friend was sitting here, and he, whoa, 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 sorry. <laughs> Didn't realize that was yours. Are you with me? So often it's just like, we're defending what's ours, you know, the bulletin must be this way, you know, and it's like, we, as long as we're 
are we forgetting the mission, the purpose that we have for a church? Because honestly, when we are doing what God has asked us to do, some of that other stuff goes away. Are you with me? All right, all right. Help me out, my friends. If, you, if this makes sense, say amen. If it doesn't, keep praying for me, all right? Number two, I would like to invite you to turn with me. So here's Nehemiah. He, he takes his responsibility. He plays on the fact that, that we all want the walls rebuilt. This is our home. He goes to the king, and this is so beautiful. Verse, uh, verse 2 of, of chapter 2, it says this. Follow along with me. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This cannot be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah responded. Verse 3 of chapter 2, and he says, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Interestingly enough, he takes his position. Do you know what? What was his occupation? What was Nehemiah's occupation? Come on, somebody's got to know it. He was a cupbearer, yet he had influence. He had time, face time with the king. He tells him his plea. The king not only gives him money, he gives him safe travel, and he gives him supplies. And he says, go fix your wall. How many times would we get what we need if we would just ask? Amen? And not say, oh, that's too big for God. But to say, you know what? God has that kind of strength, that kind of power. Nehemiah here, the second one, is responsibility. He played on the fact that this is your home. This is where our walls are laid in ruins. This is where our temple was laid in ruins. And he plays on the fact that everyone was sad of heart. And he's, he goes and does a scouting mission and rallies the troops saying, this is your responsibility. Interestingly enough, that was his position. Yet God gives us all a position. God gives us influence in this and that. Our spiritual gifts, this is what this is all about. As God has said, I have given you this this. Uh, ability, the spiritual gift for this purpose. Are we using it? Nehemiah, his was leadership. He got 40 teams and, uh, and, and they, you know, he realized this is too big for myself. I realized this this summer. I can't run a camp by myself. I have to rely on people. And he had 40 teams. You take this gate, you take this, you fix that, you're in charge of this. He even went to Shalom who had two daughters. And in the culture, you don't have your daughters work on a wall. But he said this ministry is too important to leave them out. Amen. And he says, you're in charge also. This is your spot. Fix it. I have to rely on you. you know, there, there's a, a, a modern day parable, and I really hope this makes sense because this is so powerful. There was a young man, and the young man had a problem because all he, he started off as a young age. He found a lighter on the side of the road, and he went and he found some grass, and he started lighting it on fire. And he understood the meaning of pyromaniac. He realized this is so much fun. And so he grew up and, and he would find this or that and, you know, you'd watch it burn. And, and, and you know, the, the parents would try to scold him and realizing that the parents aren't doing their job. Some of the elders of the city started getting upset until he continued to get older and he'd burn this. And the fire department had to come one time until finally he went to an old barn way out in the, in the woods. Guess what he did? Full of hay. Burned it down. Burned it down. Finally, the elders of the city came together. There were four of them. And they said, we must find something to do. This kid is going to destroy our town. The parents aren't doing it. So they met and they decided, well, first elder said, I got an idea. What I'm going to do is I'm going to carry around a bucket of water. 
You're not with me, are you? <laughs> I hope you're following the application. How do we deal with the problems of some of our youth? Think this one. All right, this is deep. I'm going to carry a bucket of water. You know, he'd light something, you know, he'd light something out. And you're just going to follow him around for a few days this went on. Okay, I need a hose. You know, he's following the kid around, putting out all his fires. Until finally, this guy, the first elder, returns to the other three. Half his clothes are burned himself. Exhausted, he can barely breathe. And he looks and he says, that didn't work. That didn't work. I couldn't. I couldn't keep up, and they look, and sure enough, smoke is rising from the horizon. They're like, no, what do we do? The second elder says, I know what to do. Let me take this. The second elder takes the place of the first elder, and he takes the boy. He's one of these guys who talks quietly at all times. Very soothing, psychological. He took the boy in his arms, and he walked to a stream, and he, he knelt down at the stream, and he took a pebble. Very slow day, quiet. He took the pebble and he threw it in the lake. And the ripples went out. And he said to the boy, you get to decide what kind of difference you'll make. Do you want your pebble to ripple this way or this way? And the boy stared at the man in his psychological demeanor and simply said, I just want to burn things. And so he continued with the psychological and his thinking. He'd made it until finally another thing was burned. This was burned. Everywhere he's burning, he's got a blowtorch. How did he find a blowtorch? I don't know. But things are burning until finally he came back and he said, the kid can't reason with him. The third elder said, let me have it. I got this. Guess what he did? I hope you're following the analogy. Picked up the boy by his two arms, threw him over his shoulder, and walked into the next village. Have mercy, right? <laughs> what do we do with our problem makers? Gets all the way to the next village, goes to the mayor's house, and places him right in front of the village, and he says, he is your problem. And the elder returns back, and there's almost a hero's welcome. There's no more fire in our village. There's, you know, yeah, they have a nice banquet to welcome back the elder who took care of their problem. One day passed, no fires. Two days no fires. The third day, they just were, we are rid of the problem. Until about midnight, they were about, one of the elders was about to go to bed until he looked over the horizon. He started an orange glow. An orange glow that built and spread. And the smoke was rising and lighting up the night sky. And in front of the horizon of, of orange, he saw silhouettes of five people. Wait, ten people. Uh-oh, a hundred, two hundred. How many are there? The entire village was walking to their village. And guess who was in the front? The mayor <laughs> with the boy. He's your problem. <laughs> and places him down. And they walk back to their burned village. They're just, they're, they're burned down village. And so the three elders are, are, are just, they're, they're panicked. They're trying, they're getting nasty letters from the community. They don't know what to do. They've tried philosophical. They've tried the, the, the whole of uh, putting out the fire so no one notices. They've tried everything until finally, pay attention to this. The last elder said, let me try something. He went to the boy. And he said, you see every house on this block? Yeah. I'd like to burn it. 
And he says, notice in each window, what do you see? And the boy said, well, they all have candles. You with me? What about that block? Yeah, they all have candles in their windows. And the block next to this, there's all candles in the windows. He said to the boy, I'd like you to light these every night so that we can see at night. Would you be willing to do that? The kid's jaw dropped. You, you mean I could do that? Yes. I would love it if you would do that. And so he started, click, click, you know, lighting all of them. He got to the first block. He was already tired. He went to this next block. He was exhausted. He finished the entire thing in about two hours and came back to the elder and said, out of breath, that was amazing. Can I do that again next tomorrow night? Are you following me? You see, my point is, my friends, as long as we, we do this, we'll find things to complain about. But when we are doing what God has called us to do, when you're using the gift God has given you, your desires, the natural tendencies, talents that God has given you, our young people need to be involved in the mission of the church. Amen? I need to hear a bigger amen if you agree with me on that one. Our young people need to be involved, and you'd be surprised. You know, oh, they're always getting in trouble. Give them something to do with their hands, with the talents that God has given them. Now, by the way, I'm not just speaking about young people. Amen? responsibility. The third one, which I found to be one of the most incredible. By the way, Pastor Morgan Chilulu says this, a church within its four walls is no church at all. Mm. Number three, the third attribute. So far we've had this whole idea of of, of purpose, of responsibility. The third is this. Now this is interesting. Constructive conflict. Constructive conflict. Nehemiah chapter 5, if you still have Nehemiah open, uh, we're going to read from chapter 5 and I'm going to start in verse 6. If you have it, say amen. I want to make sure you're still with me, church. All right? <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 5 in verse 6. All right, what, what has happened here is they've started to oppress one another. They're doing taxes against this and they're, they're selling grain at a price and they're, they're kind of hurting their, their, themselves. Verse 6, Nehemiah says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Verse 7, But after serious thought, can we just stop right there? One of, our, one of my favorite teaching techniques, which I use so many times, they said when you are a teacher and you find something that you're so angry about, take three breaths and think about it. How much turmoil would we save ourselves, church, if we did that? You know, our first reactions when we're angry is to get even, to get back, to say what's on our mind. And much of the time, that's not from God. That's our natural sinful instinct. But here is, here is Nehemiah with conflict, and, and they've made their case. They're doing this and that. And instead of just, just tearing into them, he's built their trust. They trust him. They love him. And he gives it serious thought. He takes time. He gives it contemplation. And he says that, verse 6, verse 7, it says this. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers, and I said to them, Each of you is exacting usury from his brother, and I called a great assembly against them. He continues to tell about, you know, because he had gained their trust, because he, they loved him, they cared about him, after he makes his speech, it says they were silenced and found nothing to say. Interesting. Verse 12, it says they were all in agreement. Half the time's arguments are, happen because people don't feel like they are heard. And there's a brilliant strategy I want to share. This. There's a book entitled um, 
The Five Dysfunctions of Team. Have you heard of this book? Five Dysfunctions of Team. And in it, the author says, I'll just share one thing. He says it's so powerful. He says in our staff meetings, in our board meetings, we strive for conflict. And I remember thinking about that. Like that that's kind of weird. But he says, if you have established trust, in other words, everyone in the room, you trust them. You have a relationship with them. Often what happens is you come to a place where if you were to, to put differences of opinion, you would strive with this, you'd put this on the table and this on the table, you could come up with a better solution. Conflict, in, in fact, makes things better if it's done in a godly, in an in organized way. So he would say, you know, once you've established trust, go for conflict. But the problem is if you don't trust one another, when you really have something beneficial to say, a lot of times he found that some of his workers were holding back. He's saying, I don't want to say it because I might be judged. I don't want to say it because they, they might, might make fun of me. They might mock me. So he says, once you have established, established trust, go for conflict. Say, what if we did it this way? What if we added this? What if we did this? And, and throw your ideas on the table and pray that God will lead you to the right one. Can you Would that be beneficial in a board meeting, my friends? But it all starts with trust. If you don't have trust, you can't have constructive conflict. Nehemiah has their trust, lays it down until all of them had been heard, but they are all in agreement. Number four, please turn to Nehemiah chapter four and verse 16. Perseverance. It's interesting, I hadn't read this through and really made sense of all of this, but of course, as Nehemiah starts rebuilding the wall, he has 40 teams. They're working here, they're working here, they're working here. They all got gates, they've all got doors, they've all got parts of the wall. All of a sudden, conflict starts to arise. Ashdodites, who was west of Jerusalem, Sanballat, who was north of, of Jerusalem and Samaria, Tobiah, who was in the east, and Geshem, who was in the Arabs of the south, north, south, east, west, every direction you had people wanting to attack you. You had people wanting to, 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 uh, to stop this work. You had people trying to hinder what God had started. You read through uh, the story of Nehemiah. It's interesting. They, they try to blackmail Nehemiah. They, they, they say, you're trying to become king. Come and talk with us. I'm sure that was a huge, a huge blow. And Nehemiah must have thought, this could get me killed. But as he prayed with it, he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to leave the work God has given me for that. I'm not leaving the work God has given me for something you want to argue about. Then they said, there's an assassin. He's coming to kill you. Go in the temple where the, where the priests go and hide there. And Nehemiah, I'm sure you hear the word assassin. He's thinking, I don't want to die. But then he thinks, I'm, a, I'm not a priest. If I go in there, I lose the respect of the people. I lose the respect of the very rules I'm trying to start here. I'm starting to uphold. So he said, no, I will not do that. Time and time again, physical force, threats, all kinds of things happening, north, south, east, and west. It was, it was so amazing this summer as we were at camp. On Friday night is when we made our appeal for, for baptism and for decisions for Jesus. And you know, how, how often do we read the text, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood, and we kind of have this whole idea of, yeah, I understand that, I understand that. The first, the first week we did the call, it was the most powerful moment of camp. It's the reason we're there is to call young people to make decisions for Jesus. Right as we were about to show a video, which was so powerful, our, our staff said what Jesus meant to them, and it was just a video throughout the staff. Right as I pressed play, our projector bulb went out. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Are you with me? And so, you know, we, we, we changed it and, and that kind of thing. That, that's how, is a coincidence it happened right then. 
The very next week, Friday night, we're going to make the call again. We were about ready to make the call for baptism. The flame from the candle from one of our activities decided to jump off the candle and onto the, 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 the uh, placemat, uh, the placemat, the table covering. And so a little fire started burning. Right as I'm trying to make the appeal. Coincidence? I don't know. Third week, exact same time, we're about ready to make the call. One of my staff goes into a panic attack. He's, his hands start doing this because he's having, he, he can't get, he's not breathing properly. And so this is all happening as we're trying to make this call for baptism. By the way, let me share this with you. This summer we had 80 young people decide to be baptized. I want to make sure you heard that. 80 young people decide to be baptized. Now, it, it was funny because we would get together in our staff circle and it just, we look back on it and we're like, wow, what's he going to try next, next week? You know? Our battle's not against flesh and blood. Satan will try whatever it takes, whatever it takes to distract, whatever it takes just to throw it off. But our God is stronger. Amen? And God worked. In fact, there was a, I was a, um, I don't know why, I, I decided to work when I was in college at Andrews University. I worked in the weight room and I had the 5 a.m. shift which sounds tough, but it was wonderful. There was like two guys working out, and I just did my homework and got paid for it. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I, st- I did the, the 5 a.m. shift. And, and, you know, sometimes if I didn't have homework, they have all of these magazines, you know, men's health and muscle, and, and the guys on the front, you know, they have, you know, muscles as big as my body type of thing. And, you know, and, and there's one section in all of these, you know, it, you, you flip it over, and it's the workout of the week type of thing. And it tells you, you know, this kind of, you know, and, I mean, it's 5 a.m., I'm bored, so... Why not, you know, and it's almost, you start reading it, it's like there's monster truck music in the background of each one of the, you know, you know, like, you want to get ripped in three weeks, you know, that kind of thing, and, and so, you know, it's just, I'm reading it, okay, you know, do that many reps, that many, okay, this much increment, okay, that's kind of interesting, and, you know, the next issue would come out a month later, and I'd read it, you know, still the monster truck music, kind of thing, and it's kind of interesting, I, I wasn't really a bodybuilder, but I had to pass the time. But this one issue came out which blew me away, and I hope this, I hope this comes across because it was so powerful to me. Sure enough, same page, same title of the article, same all this kind of thing. You lift it up, except for this time it wasn't monster truck music because it was featuring Navy SEALs. And, and, I, and I, I'm, you know, reading it, and, and I'm used to, you know, I do this many reps, I do this many, you know, all, all this kind of stuff in order to get, you know, ripped in three weeks or, you know, muscles the size of my head, you know, that kind of... But these two guys were talking about their workout, and surprisingly, their workouts were pretty similar. You know, it, it was the amount of weight, you know, just a little tweak, but it was pretty similar to everything else I had seen, except the very end, which blew me away. Because he said, the reason I push my body this hard is so that my partner can count on me if his life depended on it. Did you hear that, church? You know, in other words, when they're lifting these weights, it's not to be ripped in three weeks. They're lifting these ways to say, I want to be here to support you when you need it. And I'm holding you accountable to do your weightlifting so you can support me if my life accounted on it. Are, are you translating this into church? Is the analogy following? I mean, I don't know personally for me. You know, I, oh, he's a conference person and he says this, yes. There are some times I wake up and, you know, I've read my Bible and I think, I read three chapters today. Where's my good Christian list? I spent an extra five minutes in prayer. 
I am a good Christian today. What if when I looked at my devotions, I realized I am spending this time with Jesus so I can be there for you? Amen? What if when you looked at your, you know, I'm not a pastor, it doesn't matter. When you're having your time with God, you're saying, I'm not doing this to be ripped in three weeks. I'm doing this because my friend's going to need me. Not just my Christian friend. My family's going to need me. I'm doing this to be prepared because I'm going into war. I'm going into battle. And I have to be prepared for that. I have to put on the full armor of God. Is this making sense, my friends? This is so important. It's so important. And so here is Nehemiah. With all kinds of, of calamity, he's getting threats from north, south, east, and west. He's getting physical threats. He's giving psychological games about going into the temple and all kinds of things. But he said, no. Verse 16, this is so amazing. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand. Listen to this. With one hand and a weapon in the other. Are you following this? In other words, brick, sword, brick, sword, brick, sword. This is just so amazing. When we have to do God's work, God forbid that the one day you forget your sword is when you're going to get attacked. Understand what I'm saying as a Christian. The one day, you know, I wake up, oh, my alarm didn't go off. Oh, I just had to get this paper done. Oh, that's the day the enemy's going to see a weakness in my armor, and he'll come full force. Are you with me? Again, understanding while the work is being done, don't forget to be armed. Don't, be, don't forget to prepare yourself for the mission that we all have. All right. Number five. It's nice when you have a, a five-point sermon because you know when I'm just about done. Verse 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us here. Our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. There's significance to those words. Oh, he said I don't have to be done at a certain time. Okay. <laughs> Exodus 14, 14. Our Lord will fight for us. You need only to be still. You know the significance of the words I just read? Nehemiah is saying, despite the fact that we are a conquered people, despite the fact that we went away from God and we were conquered by Assyria and then we were conquered by Babylon, we're in captivity, despite the fact that we have failed, He's still our God. Amen? Our Lord, who said He'll fight for Moses, will continue to fight for us because He's still our God. Number five, accountability and unity. This, this covers the span of about three different chapters. So I won't be able to read all in your hearing. Chapter 8, as the wall is completed, the re, they read the book of the law. People start weeping. You know, this is what we're supposed to do. The, the Levites go, no, 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 don't weep, don't weep. This is good news. This is a good day. We're going back to the Bible. We're going back to God's word. My friends, the only source of unity is Jesus Christ and his word. Amen. If you want to come together, spend time in the Bible together. And, and this whole idea of accountability, they made a covenant in chapter 9. They kept the Sabbath on chapter 10. It's kind of interesting you read you know, quite a few chapters, 11 through 13. Finally, Nehemiah returns back to Babylon, reports to the king, and, and things were going well. Finally, they were back. They were keeping the Sabbath. They were doing what they're supposed to do. They were keeping the temple services. 
He returns after going back to Babylon. He returns back to the temple. Tobiah, you remember the enemy, Tobiah? Well, he, the, the priests had kind of gone on a little vacation, and they said, hey, why don't you go ahead and make for yourself a little family, uh, you know, winter home or something. He had a, a, a sofa and a big screen TV in the temple. Um, made himself a little resort. You know, the Levites had left. They started buying and selling things on the Sabbath again. And Nehemiah came back. Oh, and he had some frustration. But you know what he did? He just simply brought up the book of the law. Come back. Come back. Remember your covenant. Remember what we said. Come back. The source of unity, the source of strength is God's word. Amen? Got him back on the right track. I have to read this to you because I thought it was so brilliant. Chapter 13. In verse 23, they started intermarrying with pagans again. This had been a, a long time curse against Israelite. And so Nehemiah realizing they're bringing in paganism. Verse 23, it says this of, of chapter 13. Moreover, in those days I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke a language of Ashdod and a language of the, uh, of the other peoples. And they didn't even know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and I called down curses on them. I beat some of them, <laughs> pulled out their hair. Understand, that's bigger than this, okay? <laughs> this is a serious thing. This is, you know, this is him holding them accountable, understanding you made a covenant, and your covenant is upon God's word, the word of the law. And he, you know, he, he had to be pretty well built. I've never tried to pull out someone's hair. I don't have much. It wouldn't take much for me, but whew, that would be, that was a serious issue. But Nehemiah, again, realizing God has called me for this purpose. And he held them accountable. Verse 30 of chapter 13, he said he got rid of everything pagan. And he continued, and that's where the story ends. Continuing to get rid of pagan things. Coming back to God's word. Coming back to the foundations, the covenants that we had made. If I could conclude with a story, with an illustration. It's actually a church history lesson. My wife often... She tells me, Greg, some of the things you're interested in, other people aren't interested in. She's so sweet. <laughs> I happen to be a, a church history fan. I don't know why, I just do. I went to Germany, we went to the Pergamon Museum. I was like a kid in a you know, candy shop. I went to Berlin, we went to Martin Luther tour. It was incredible. But it's interesting, we often talk about Martin Luther, and we talk about the Reformation, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about the Counter-Reformation. And in, in short, there's a picture, maybe you've seen it, you know, of, there, there's the, the Pope representing papacy, and I, I mean, I love Catholic people, they're wonderful people. As a Protestant, I do protest against the idea that I can be saved by a man. Are you with me? I protest against the, some of those ideas that, you know, I can save myself, I can be good enough, I can, the indulgence thing, I don't agree with that. And so there's this depiction of Martin Luther, and he's, he's kind of like, you know, pulling on the garb of the Pope type of thing, because he, he protests against salvation by works. And the, the, you know, there's Martin Luther, who was a great reformer, but on the other side, there was another reformer, you know, who was the second most famous reformer? Someone throw it out for me. John, 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 that would be a good one too. John Calvin is what I was going with. And here's John Calvin, and he's also, he, he agreed with Martin Luther about this idea that we can save ourselves. Te absolvo, I protest against that that a man could say, I personally forgive you, Greg. So he's got his arm, and he's holding on to the priest, the, the, the Pope. 
And he's, you know, I protest against what you're saying. So you have the three. You have Martin Luther, you have the Pope, and then you have John Calvin. But the rest of the picture is what gets really interesting. Because here's John Calvin who starts to argue with Martin Luther about things like transubstantiation, you know, the, the, the Eucharist, what really happens when, when you do the, the, the bread and the wine, you know, and, and then there's infant baptism, and so Martin Luther, he's pulling on John Calvin's beard. Maybe you've seen this picture. And, and so this is really what happened in history. The Reformation spread like wildfire. They were understanding we can no longer be under the yoke. The Bible was translated into German. It was translated into other languages. The Reformation just, just filled Europe until... These individuals started fighting each other. And Martin Luther started, started missing, and I shouldn't say just Luther, the, the whole church at this point started missing the focus of, of mission, and they started going at one another. Calvin and Luther, and of course you can throw in Anabaptists, you can throw in the many other movements at that time. Have you been to South America? If I were to ask you what is the primary faith of Brazil, Catholicism, Uruguay, Paraguay, Peru. Are you following me? What took place as Luther and Calvin are going at one another is the Pope, papacy, Catholicism simply backed out, went around, let them fight. And through the ministry of the Jesuits, of, uh, you, you hear a lot of missionary stories. What they did is they let Europe fight and they went to South America and they spread and they evangelized, I mean, so to speak. They spread Catholicism. To the point today, we still, I mean, everywhere you go, you know, it's a stronghold. It's everywhere. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Catholic people. And I, I disagree with their beliefs, but I love them as a Christian, the brother and, brother and sisters in Christ. But the point is, so often with us, my friends, it just seems like we do this. Are you with me? Instead of realizing the enemy, you, you know, you know we, you are not my enemy. That church down the road is not my enemy. You know, instead of saying, oh, man, this bulletin, this announcement should not be in there. That was from last week or, or you know, the whole, uh, you know, you, you find things when you're twirling your thumbs, you know, to, to, to argue about, to get mad at each other about. But the thing is, when you're focused on mission, those things go away. When we as a church are focused on the fact that God gave us a work to do, not just our pastor, not just our elders, all, everyone down to our young people, amen? And when we take up the work that God has given us, all of a sudden, some of those things that we bicker and fight about go away. They resolve themselves, and we come to common terms because we trust and we have unity. My friends, Nehemiah, sometimes through the hard way, some through the easy way, reminded us of our purpose, of our responsibility, of the fact that our differences can actually make us better through our conflict, of perseverance through difficult times when, when opposition comes, and finally, unity and accountability. As I close, I'll just say this. I don't know how often times we, we sing things like, oh, I'm in the Lord's army, or we are soldiers in the army, and, and we have these metaphors for church, and, and I wonder sometimes if army is the best metaphor for our church. Are you with me? Can you think kind of deeply with me as we close? In other words, are we really trying to conquer them? You know, in other words, I, I don't think crusade is the best word for evangelism, if you follow me. All right? Are we really an army? And then there's things like the hospital. I, I think we're getting closer with that, a place for sinners to come and get healing. I like that. 
You know, uh, a business, I don't like that. <laughs> this is dealing with numbers and money, you know, and, and how many do we got in? What's their name? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think business quite fits the, the metaphor, but the one I prefer, I think best fits the message of Scripture is family. Sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, realizing whether you do the most foolish thing in the world, you're still my brother. Amen? You've hurt me really bad, but you're still my sister. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to disregard you and say I don't need you anymore because we're family. That is the culmination of Scripture. Is God coming back like a bride dressed for, you know, it's this great marriage, this great wedding. That's what Revelation keeps referring to. It's this family metaphor. May we be a family with a purpose. May we be the family with a mission. May we realize that we are called to that purpose. May we finish this work so that we may go home. Amen. God in heaven, Lord, thank you for this story that you've given each one of us the way Jesus has become our friend, our Savior. Continue, Lord, to help us to put on that full armor of God. Lord, so we continue to spend time with you so that we can go into this life, into our weeks, into our jobs, into our homes, and we can be there to reflect Jesus Christ, the story that has become so intricate to each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath. Be with us as we go our separate ways. And Lord, may we finish this work so we may go home soon. Amen.